years ago, in the shadow of a leaked Supreme Court document that signaled the imminent undoing of Roe v. Wade, we at CBE gathered for our first observance of a Shabbat that had just been named nationally as Reproductive Justice Shabbat. Under the umbrella of NCJW, the National Council of Jewish Women, we packed our sanctuary on that Friday night, trepidatiously ready to face each other, our experiences, and the fact that a very hard-won law protecting women and others who can get pregnant was now hanging in the balance. We felt that there were two most important things that we needed to do that night and the Shabbat morning that followed. First, we needed to begin to destigmatize abortion by telling our stories, speaking openly about our hard decisions, our deep losses, our reliefs, and to elevate those stories into the sacred spaces of prayer, learning, and Jewish community. We began to shed the shame, guilt, and isolation that so often accompany abortion and to restore the conversation to the level of humanity and compassion. We told six stories that night, four of which were told by the fierce, courageous, and wise women who experienced them and who are here on this night to support and respond to our teenagers. Shortly after that leaked document became an actual document, we loaded a bus for DC to lift our voices together in grief and commitment. We called that bus the Uter Bus. <laughs> because this work is hard and laughter and joy are acts of resistance in the face of tyranny. The second thing that we knew we needed to do was to begin on that Shabbat two years ago was in recognition of how much religion was already being used as a proof text about why abortion should be illegal in this country. Of course, this proof text, this claim was primarily a Christian understanding of religion and did not account for the millions of Jewish Americans or what Jewish tradition has to say about abortion. So if upcoming abortion fights were going to be framed as religious moral values, then we felt we needed to be able to talk about it in a religious moral framework as well. And so we, in this case the CBE clergy, began teaching about what Jewish tradition does have to say about abortion. We taught about this week's Torah portion, Parshat Mishpatim, which makes a profound distinction between the loss of life of a person and the loss of a fetus in utero. We taught that life in Jewish tradition does not begin with a heartbeat, but with a first breath out of the womb. We taught that the life and health of the pregnant person takes precedence over a fetus. We taught that for thousands of years, Jewish tradition has made broad space for the need for abortions, both because of physical and mental health. And if you missed those sermons, I encourage you to go back and watch them, for they laid out the foundation for where we are today, particularly Go see Rabbi Timoners. It's really fiery and good. <laughs> Last year, we told more stories and built more trust and more bravery, more community. Cantor Breitzer told his own story, the first male-identified person to speak publicly on abortion in these recent years. And now we have arrived at this third year of reproductive justice Shabbat. It has become time to move into action. 
the story that I will leave to tonight's speakers. We will continue, continue to tell stories, of course, to grapple with and learn our tradition and to nurture those who are in pain in our community. And tonight also a new chapter begins. I want to offer deep gratitude to the teachers of our speakers tonight too, to Rose Snitz, our teen and music engagement director, and to Rebecca Black, Yachad educator and social justice coordinator, both who supported our young people in crafting their message and in moving into action. And to Elizabeth Zimmerman, who's a community organizer for NCJW New York, who has been their institutional support and guide into the strategies that you'll hear about tonight. And now it is my great honor to introduce our teachers this evening. Fiona Overcamp, who's a member of Yachad and a Madricha for our younger students. Jane Garrett, a member of Yachad, a Madricha, and one of our team's song leaders. And Lissa Davis Siegel, a member of Yachad and the young person who called me last year to say she wanted to build something to protect, protect reproductive rights and then began with others to do just that. The Bima is yours. Shabbat shalom. Shabbat shalom. And good evening. We are Fiona Overcamp, Jane Garrett, and Lisa Davis Siegel. And we are high school Yachad students here at CDE. As teens, we stand out from the usual community organizers and advocates on the issue of reproductive rights. But just because we are young does not mean there's nothing we can do. Also, just because we are teens doesn't mean this issue doesn't affect us either. Last year in Yachad, we focused on community organizing specifically the issue of reproductive justice. This was my first exposure to this issue. We did valuable work during the school year, raising money for and donating products we collected in a drive to a local shelter called Kamba. But there is still so much to do. And in a few years, as we become adults, this will be our world. So why should we wait around for change to just happen? Sometimes our future feels so uncertain with abortion laws changing left and right. While we are lucky to live in New York State, where abortion is legal and funded, not everyone has this privilege. As abortion rights become more and more restricted within the United States, the level of care that is provided in New York will begin to dwindle with overwhelming demand and limited supplies. We aim to do what we can for the people who have been denied the right to an abortion. We are privileged to be a part of a community that gives us a platform and support, and we aim to take advantage of this. By raising money via drives and fundraisers, we are able to help provide resources to fund safe abortions. The abortion rate stays relatively the same whether or not it is legal. It is safety that is the real issue. As I mentioned before, our future is at stake at well. If a nationwide ban on abortion were to be put in place, our abortion access here in New York wouldn't be safe either. As we have heard our CBE clergy teach over these past three years, Access to safe abortions is an intrinsically Jewish value, and in some cases, even required. We prioritize the life and health of the pregnant person. Health does not only refer to the physical, but also the mental and physiological well-being. As teens fighting for reproductive justice, we want to lead actionable events to create the change in the world that we want to see when we are adults.
living in a confusing and overwhelming time. And often, as a teenager, I'm not quite sure how to handle the complexities of the world in which I live. In one hand, I hold my hope, an entity that is nurtured by the wonderful people I am surrounded by. I am filled with optimism that is inspired by the amazing activist work that I see happening and am a part of in the CBE community, and the activism that I watch unfold internationally. And in the other hand, I hold the fear that none of this work will actually do anything. I hold the worry that even though there are efforts to reform our ways of living to be more inclusive and more sustainable, the rights of marginalized communities and the health of the world will still be in danger. I hold the threat of failure. And sometimes this hand that is full of fear is heavier than the other. And I lean a little to the side, overwhelmed by the uncertainty this leaves me. When Fiona and I spoke last month at MLK Shabbat, about abortion access advocates, the group we work with, we had several women come up to us and say, wow, I'm so inspired by you guys. It is so amazing that you are carrying this torch. We would say, thank you. <laughs> then they would continue on. But I'm so sorry that this is the torch you have to carry. I remember doing the same thing, fighting the same fight. This really struck me because they fought for Roe and they won. Because of their victory, I have hoped that we as a collective could win in the fight for equality and in the fight for abortion care <clears throat> that should just be called health care. The path the generations before us began paving helps me to try and look into the future with greater optimism. But at the same time, I now hold the reality that half a century later, this win has become overturned. And now our generation has to fight all over again. Earlier this week, my grandma shared a speech with me that she wrote and gave almost 22 years ago in November of 2002, here at CBE, during Friday night services, about reproductive justice above. <laughs> I wanted to share a few of her words that echo in my mind. She wrote, it is nearly 30 years since reproductive choice was affirmed as our constitutional right, and we want to deliver one message. And that is, we will not turn the clock back to the days when women died because they were denied access to a medical procedure. <clears throat> 22 years and three generations later, it scares me that this is the message that we can no longer relay. As a teenager, this responsibility that I feel becomes daunting, the prospect seemingly grim. There have been times when I sarcastically remarked to a friend when talking about the state of America, whatever, Everything's already going downhill. Nothing we do is actually going to make a difference. Sometimes I think I really do believe that. But the reason this issue feels so urgent to me is that while there is a chance of failure if we try, there is a definite failure if we don't try. In one hand, I hold fear. And while some of that fear is that our efforts won't work, the other part of that fear is the fear of what will happen if things stay the same. What will happen if safe abortions continue to re remain obstructed for millions of individuals? How will that impact where I choose to go to college? What will happen to marginalized communities, such as people of color, people who are less wealthy, queer people, trans people, and how badly will this affect them? In what ways am I privileged and don't even have to worry about any of this? What will happen to the culture surrounding sexual assault and how will it change? 
Will it change? What precedent is overturning Roe set? What precedent does it set if we do nothing about it? What do our actions or our inactions say? And how can we change this message? What can we do to create change? These are the questions that ignite my hope, helping to create more balance between my hands as we carry the weight of the torch that we have been handed. in soup kitchens, had bake sales to raise money for nonprofits, encouraged people to vote, and more. But I repeatedly felt unfulfilled because whenever I did this work, I never really saw the impacts of my actions. For instance, I don't know if the money I raised actually ended up going to the nonprofits. I don't know if calling people and saying, don't forget to, don't forget to register to vote, actually made more people go to the polls or instead irritated them. I soon realized that, that if I wanted to make change that I knew would truly be influential, I needed to take initiative. A main goal of Abortion Access Advocates, or ACUBED as we like to call it, is to take action that has efficient and tangible consequences for real people. We want to do more than just get volunteer hours. About two weeks ago, we had an event to learn more about the current ab abortion climate in New York, crisis pregnancy centers, and to package abortion aftercare kits. For those who don't know, crisis pregnancy centers are places that present themselves as women's health clinics and safe places for women to learn about their reproductive options. However, they are the exact opposite. They guilt trip and lie, saying things like, abortions give you cancer. They get people to put on white coats and pretend to be doctors. They buy ultrasound machines that report fake results. And these are all over the US, including in New York. So we're thinking now about how to expose and to pass laws that will regulate fraudulent places like this. For the kits, we filled them with healing and comforting items such as hot water bottles, fuzzy socks, chocolate, supportive notes, and more. In total, we made about 60 kits that were then donated to a specific clinic that gets an abundance of uh, protesters who stand outside and harass people who are going in there for care. After this single two-hour event, 60 people will feel more supported and have a more comfortable recovery. In the future, we want to hold more events like voter registration and pre-registration pre drives for high schoolers. Did you know that in the 2020 election, less than half of 18 to 24-year-olds voted? And that's a presidential election. For many issues, non-presidential elections are crucial, and in particular, abortion access, as there are a number of current bills pertaining to the cause, like the Comprehensive Sex Ed Bill. Another way in which we are hoping to take action is lobbying New York legislators and representatives. We are also planning on gathering funds to donate directly to organizations that help people get abortions safely. This means helping through every step of the process. Transportation of people, specifically those from states where abortion access is restricted. Housing these people, funding abortions for those who can't afford, and more. While these are big goals, we are looking to make actual and imminent change and are not afraid to be bold. We hope that you, the adults in our community, feel compelled to join us in our efforts as we cannot do it alone. 
We are planning to have events that happen monthly where we hope that you will join us. During Kiddish following services tonight, Fiona, Jane, and I will have sign-up sheets to join our email list to stay up to date about upcoming events and our progress. Thank you for paving the way for young people like us to advocate for rights to our bodies. Shabbat Shalom. And because we believe they deserve an answer, I am very proud to invite forward Kathy Coulson, uh, who spoke two years ago, to respond. Good evening. I fear I won't speak with as much poise <laughs> as the young women before me. I'm also a crier. So I like to just say that right up front. <laughs> Doesn't make me not cry, uh, but it makes it less awkward for all of you. <laughs> Kara, Leslie, and Elizabeth, I hold you in my heart as I speak our words and we continue to tell our stories. The personal is political. A rallying cry shouted at marches, hurled at politicians, and whispered amongst close friends and confidants. For decades, we've shared our stories, our personal stories, private stories, forced by and to force politicians to take action, to take heart, to get out of our uteruses, our uteri, I wasn't sure. <laughs> we shared the tragic, the heroic, the relief, the anguish, and told stories over and over again to gain and then to preserve our right to autonomy, our basic right to freedom, to our personhood and to our power. Our arms are weary and our voices tired of holding the same signs and telling our stories. But while we're weary and frustrated and while we can't believe we are still protesting this, and while it may sometimes feel like nothing makes a difference, I gotta say, I don't feel weary right now. I don't feel frustrated tonight. I don't feel like nothing can make a difference tonight, not in the wake of hearing these three young women speak their truth. I definitely do not feel those things because it's important to remember that for 50 years in this country, we did have the right to choose. It gives me strength, it gives me hope, or maybe resilience to remember that tens of thousands, maybe hundreds of thousands of women, many of them teenagers, were able to get the reproductive health care they needed, and as a result, untold thousands of lives were undoubtedly saved, sometimes quite literally. 
and sometimes saving a future. How many college degrees and artistic accomplishments and scientific discoveries have been achieved in the last 50 years because women and people who can get pregnant had the right to control their own bodies and were able to follow their dreams and aspirations. Our protests and our advocacy were not in vain, even though we have suffered this very significant setback. And so we see that stories accompany action as new generations of us join to continue the fight, in fact, to lead the fight and to demand this right that goes to the core of our ability to choose the path that is right for each of us. In this space, boomers and Gen Z and millennials and Gen X share with a knowing look the millions of untold stories that demand our action. We come together, we hydrate, we stretch and we prepare ourselves to hoist bigger signs and to shout louder no matter how hoarse our voices. We are so proud, so proud to bear witness to your power, your determination. So proud to join with you to do what's necessary to start again together. And so, Lisa, Jane, and Fiona, we are in. We are in with you. Well, <laughs> thank you. Thank you, Fiona and Jane and Lissa. Thank you, Kathy and Leslie and Lizbeth, and Kara. Thank you to each person who has told a story, your story. You know, tonight we talked a little bit about fear. Fear came up a few times. Fear of what could be. Fear of standing up. Fear of what might be if we don't stand up. We know that courage is not not being afraid, but that courage is being afraid and then taking action anyway. That's what we know. Rabbi Rebbe Nachman of Bratzlov, he had a thing to tell us about fear. He would say, kol ha'olam kulo, gesher tzarmaod, the whole entire world is a very, very narrow bridge. And the most important thing, he'd say v'ha'ikar, lo lefached klal, is to not be afraid. He didn't mean just be fine, just pretend like everything is fine and easy and chill. He meant, Things are hard. They're so hard that the world is like, it's a narrow bridge. That's how hard. The most important part is to take action anyway. The thing about a narrow bridge that makes it so scary is how tsar it is. Because when you walk across a narrow bridge that's so narrow, you have to walk it alone. You cannot feel like anybody's with you. You must be single file. Tonight, Thank you. You have started to push the edges of the bridge out. Widen it. 
so it's expansive and there's spaciousness so that you don't have to walk alone and we don't have to walk alone and no generation in here has to walk alone until that bridge is so very big that we're not single file but we're shoulder to shoulder to shoulder across to protect people when they need it most so thank you for doing that for helping us cross and to ensure that no one will cross alone as Kathy said we're in and we're with you, and we're next to you, shoulder to shoulder. Yashar and thank you. Shabbat shalom. Shabbat shalom.